Well, I have the privilege of speaking with you uh, again. We're starting a new series called No Longer Slaves, which is an exciting series about freedom. I considered painting my face blue and growing my hair out and putting some braids in it and wearing my kilt, but um, I couldn't get my hair to kind of go like that. I'm glad to be with you here this morning, and it's exciting to launch into this series, but uh, the hard part is when you talk about freedom, you have to talk about that which we are slaves to. And uh, we must descend into the harsh reality that we are not free. Have you ever heard the expression, I'm only human? We kind of use that expression to say, you know, give me some slack. You know, people make mistakes. You know, that's just the way it is. That's what you've come to expect from a human. And yet, uh, we were once something more. God created us, and we were his very good creation. But somewhere along the way, it was all lost because of the choices that we made and the sin that entered our hearts. Instead, our expression shouldn't be, I'm only human, but the expression should perhaps be, I used to be human because we are something less. That would actually tell the story better because we would remember that we were once something greater. We were once something more, and now we are something less. Um... We're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. You can open that up. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can use the table of contents to kind of navigate your way if you're unfamiliar with how the Bible is laid out. Or you can use your smartphone for something smart. You can read the Bible there. You can get a, a number of different apps. Uversion is a great one. It's got search functions. You can find Numbers chapter 11 very easily. And uh, before we get into Numbers chapter 11, I'm going to try to catch us up to where we are in history. So I already mentioned Adam and Eve. God creates the world. There's Adam and Eve. There's this fall. There's this brokenness that happens, and it's carried on into the rest of um, their children and their children's children. Um, we have Adam and Eve, the fall of humankind. Just a little bit, we, uh, we end up with uh, Noah. Uh, some of you would know about him and a boat. Um, not too long past Noah, we run into a character by the name of Abraham. Um, God called him and promised him that he would make him into a great nation, uh, and that through that nation, all other nations would be blessed. His grandson, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel because of an encounter he had with God, had 12 sons, and the older of the sons sold the youngest son into slavery. Joseph was his name. Now, despite their evil plans, God sets up Joseph as a prominent leader in Egypt. And truly, through God's plan, all of Egypt and the surrounding nations were saved from a terrible famine. In the process, Joseph is reconciled to his brothers, reunited with his father and other younger brother, and they live happily ever after in Egypt, uh, or at least for a little while. The descendants of Jacob, or the descendants of Israel, the Israelites grew in considerable number in Egypt, and eventually the Egyptians enslaved the people of Israel. Several generations later, God called a man named Moses 
to lead the people of Israel out of slavery into the promised land. But on the way to the promised land, they encountered a battle they didn't anticipate. Naturally, they had been given their freedom. They were no longer enslaved by another nation's political slaves or something. But spiritually, they were still slaves. And we will find that many of us, though we believe ourselves to be free, are still spiritual slaves. So let's dive in. We're going to read from Numbers chapter 11, um, starting in verse 4. Um, this is not, you know, sometimes they, people have verses on like a little card, you know, near their kitchen sink, and they flip to the next day, and there's a, a nice verse generally on there. They, these are not the kind of verses that are on one of those cards. This is kind of dark. This is one of those moments that will maybe make you uncomfortable. But there's something here for us that will hopefully help us head towards greater freedom in our lives. Okay, Um, Numbers 11, starting in verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So on the journey, God was providing for his people. He set them free through these miraculous means, and they're on their way, and he's providing manna for them. And the people start to complain. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can can I get meat for all of these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry All these people by myself, the burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let my face, uh, or do not let me face my ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. So a little bit of grace for Moses in that moment, which is nice, but that's maybe perhaps the only bright light in in this. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day, or two days, or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils, and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord, who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Uh... You can read on later. God brings a multitude of quails. The Israelites stuff themselves. Some of them become horribly sick and die. They name the place where they buried the bodies 
the graves of those who craved. Here's a question for you, after a delightful moment like that. Here's a question for you. Why is it that when we know what is right to do, we still choose to do the wrong thing? There's almost universal consensus by most of the world's religions, um, societies in general, about the main things. Subtleties are obviously different. Um, generosity, kindness, patience, um, telling the truth, um, not murdering people. Generally, humankind knows what we should do for the betterment of ourselves and society. And yet the main reasons that the world is as terrible as it is is because we don't live that way. So let's bring that closer to home. That's, you know, out there. That society is evil. Let's bring that closer to home. How many of you know you're supposed to eat healthy food? How many of you know what healthy food is? How many of you eat healthy food? How many of you don't? Okay, how many of you know you're supposed to stay active and exercise? How many of you um, would say that you are staying active and exercising as much as you think you should? How many of you are not? Everyone's looking around going, you maybe need to think about some of these options. Okay, okay for, for Christians, you know, if you're, if you're not a believer here this morning, you get a free pass for just a moment because these are actually obligations for Christians. For you Christians, how many of you know you're supposed to read your Bible? Okay, how many of you know you're supposed to pray more? How many of you know you're supposed to be generous? How many of you know you're supposed to forgive again and again? How many of you don't do it? How many of you think you can't do it? It can't be done. Why? What's the explanation? What's the Bible's answer? I think the answer is, the human hearts are sinful, and in fact, humans are slaves to sin. Now, the Bible teaches that sin is not just an act that you've done, something that you've, you, you were supposed to do, you didn't do something, you shouldn't do and you did, but sin is a power, a power over us. Uh, some people um, in our world liken sins to mistakes. That's all they are. And some of you perhaps have this small understanding of sin. Um, you can quite easily measure this by how you feel about the sins that no one else knows about. They don't seem to have any consequences that are real in your life. Are you upset about those things? Or would you only be upset if you were found out and the consequences became a reality? Sin is not just an act but it is a power over you. It is your master. Sin undermines. When you sin with the mind, it shrivels the mind. When you sin with the emotions, you shrivel the emotions. Sin destroys freedom. Sin is an enslaving power. Let's consider the story of the Israelites. Listen to what the Israelites say. You know, we had such a wonderful time back in Egypt when you think about it. Um, let's go back. We want the comforts of Egypt. We had free fish. Now, 
What rational person looks at this situation being enslaved by the Egyptians for generations? Um, you know, they're slaughtering people, beating people. Um, they're being mighty delivered through miraculous means of God. And they're finally gaining their freedom, making their way to the promised land. But they have to eat manna. And thinks, it's not worth it. We should just go back. The, Um, eating manna isn't worth it. So let's go back. We had free fish. Now, of course it was free fish. They were slaves. Now, how does it make, to go, how does it make sense to go back into slavery? It doesn't. And all of us reading this can see that it isn't a good idea. Can you imagine the Israelites um, approaching, walking back to Egypt and saying, hey, can we forget about this whole um, multitude of plagues and drowning, you know, a number of your family members in the sea kind of on our exit. But you know what? We're just back. We think this is a better option for us. And oh, sure, come on back in. Can I get you some free fish? They can't go back. That's a terrible decision. The problem is they're spiritual slaves. They can't see the right decision. They can't make the right decision. They are spiritually powerless to do the right thing. The Bible teaches us that every person is a spiritual slave, and that we can't make the right decisions. Um, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle is responsible for writing much of the New Testament. He writes this in Romans chapter 7. You're welcome to join me there if you'd like. I'll read it to you. This is Romans 7 verses 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not know, or for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is uh, what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Anyone who says that they aren't a spiritual slave isn't really trying to do what is good. They're not really trying. Um, About six years ago, I had a gym membership. Uh, I worked right across uh, the street from a gym. I was at the gym very regularly before uh, going to work. I had a friend that I went with. Um, We carpooled. We made sure that we were always going to the gym. And I saw the most incredible um, health and strength gains that I've ever seen in my life. Um, I was pretty lean, about 165 pounds, and I was benching about 220 pounds. Maybe that's not a big deal to you. It was a big deal to me. Um, And I was fit. And now, again, lots has changed in six years. And over those six years, I have not had the same kind of rhythms at the gym. Um, I haven't been as dedicated to fitness or strength training. But never along the way did I kind of think... I'm starting to feel a little bit weak. It may be hints every once in a while, but 
I largely felt that I was just as strong as I was six years ago. But only because it wasn't tested. Uh, recently, I found uh, a used weight bench um, and, uh, and picked it up. And I have some weights now in my basement. And uh, I tested it the other day. It wasn't the same. <laughs> how, how did that? It wasn't really tested. I didn't know that I had lost all that strength. And, you know, when somebody is quite young and fit, um, you know, being late for a bus is not a big deal. Um, if you think you're still 20 and you're not, uh, and you run for a bus, you might injure yourself. Now, goodness <laughs> um, needs to be tested in our lives. And um, when we try to be good, we notice that we are not as strong as we think we are. If you believe you are entirely free to do as you like, if you believe I'm not a spiritual slave, take the golden rule, you know, do unto others as they would do to you, as you would like them to do to you. Try for as many um, days or hours as you like until you realize you're not powerful enough. You don't even have to take all of God's list out of the Bible about his laws, just take your own list, the things that you say you should do or the things that you say other people should do and see how you do. Can you do that flawlessly? Um, I believe that you will realize um, that you're not free from this power. Um, the only reason that you think, yeah, perhaps you are free is because you're not trying. Um, sin is not just an act, but a power. It's a power over us. When you sin, it has a powerful effect on you. Your ability to do good and to see good are compromised. Okay, in, the, in our story, again, of the Israelites, we see the mind, the emotions, and the will. They began to crave Egypt. There was this emotional shift. They remembered the fish. Right, their rationale is broken. They're thinking, hey, we had free fish in Egypt and we were slaves, but they couldn't see that part. Um, and even they say, you know, they don't have any appetite, but it's almost more like they're saying, our strength is dried up. We have no more will in us. Our will is gone. Now, uh, God interjects, he says, you will have it you will loathe it because you've rejected me, but it's almost the same thing. You will loathe it because you loathed me. Um, all sin is addiction. Now, let me clarify. Um, not all addictions are necessarily a sin. Maybe you, have, you drink coffee, you have caffeine all the time. Maybe that's an addiction. Maybe that's not a sin. Maybe it is. Anyways, what I'm saying is, Sin creates a, an addictive cycle that's very common. Um, many of you would know more about that even than I do. But the addiction cycle, again, a few highlights. There's a stressor of some kind. Then there's an agent that promises to relieve us from that stressor. But the agent is not actually what we need to overcome uh, or be sustained through the stressor. Instead, we are trapped by a tolerance effect. It always overpromises and under-delivers. First, um, it can't actually relieve the stress of the original stressor, and it also has diminishing returns on what it actually delivers. Since the stressor isn't really dealt with, um, 
you still have to use the agent, but this time it demands more and more of you until the agent shows itself as your new stressor. Only now you're dealing with the agent as the stressor, and it also is the thing we believe will cause the relief from the stressor. We become enslaved to it. You can't, or you eventually become uh, irrational. You can't think objectively. It dissolves your willpower. Um, the place where these people were buried is called the graves of those who craved. At its essence, sin is craving something more than God. There is an eternal tolerance effect that happens in sin. There's lots of agents that promise us satisfaction. Perhaps um, it was launching into your career, you know, the whole education process. You thought, this is going to be it. I'm going to hit these goals, get this education. I'm going to land in this particular career. Maybe you've done that successfully, and you've already realized, you know, it wasn't what I thought it would be. It didn't quite kind of thrill me in the same way that I thought. It promised something, and then it didn't deliver something. Um, maybe it was a, maybe it's a career rush, maybe it's a relationship rush, maybe that's falling in love, you know, if only. Maybe that's getting married, that when we finally have that moment. Maybe it's having children. Um, um, maybe it's getting remarried. Maybe that's having one more child. Maybe that's grandchildren. Maybe it's an experience rush, going on a European tour, or skydiving, or something like that. Maybe it's a materialism rush. Again, we're great at this in North America, materialism rush. So um, your own home, man, if only. Then a bigger home, you know, because this one's small. If we had the bigger one, then finally, there we go. If the house was renovated, then it would be great. I just need some new clothes. I need more clothes. A car. I need a second car. I need a new car. I need a boat. I need a cottage. I need a new cottage. Now, you have all thought that some of these things might actually work if you search your heart. And we haven't really even talked about the unhealthy agents. Alcohol, perhaps, drugs, um, sex, violence, vengeance, unforgiveness, jealousy, bitterness, hatred. Um, after my mom passed away, my dad got a new truck. Uh, probably more money he had spent on a vehicle ever in his life. It only took about a week or so, and I asked him how he was liking his new truck, and he responded, it's just a truck. Perhaps he had a moment where he thought, you know what, this might just kind of give me a little bit of lift here, and it was just a truck. If you live for anything more than God, it is an enslaving power. If you know you're supposed to forgive and you don't, um, it will undermine your rationale. It will rob you of the truth. In order to not forgive someone, you have to maintain a moral high ground. You have to be better than they are. So you have to uh, ignore and screen out all the evidence that would suggest otherwise, the fact that actually you're as broken as they are. Or perhaps you see them doing something great, you have to pretend that there's evil motives involved so that you can maintain that position of unforgiveness. You can't crave bitterness and unforgiveness and keep a rational mind. You will have to blind yourself to the truth and that blind spot will actually cause to spin you uh, out of control. You won't be able to pinpoint 
Where, why is everything going wrong? What's the matter here? Because it's in your blind spot because you've chosen to have that. Sin destroys your emotions, your mind, and your will with an eternal tolerance effect. How do you identify your agent? How would you answer the question, I would be happy if only? We've already looked at a sum. But what's yours? For the Israelites, it was meat. Doesn't that seem small? But to them, it was everything. It was the only thing that they could see. If we only had meat. I heard this quote or something like it, sin turns the heart into a fire. And a fire never reaches a point where it no longer needs more fuel. You never kind of get a fire built up, you know, you're out camping. There it is, perfect. You still need more wood. You gotta send the kids out into the woods at night to find more dry wood to keep the thing going. No sinful heart says, I have enough success in my career. I have enough love. I have enough things. I'm content in every way. There is an if only at the bottom of every slave master. Lies create more lies. Envy creates more envy. Racism necessitates more racism. Bitterness creates more bitterness. Jealousy creates more jealousy. In the beginning, you may have a small appetite for the truth, but it won't take long and you'll be lost. How do we get out? See, if God's not in the center of your life, you are a slave. God says, you've rejected me. You loathe the meat because you've loathed me. Enslaving habits happen because you don't have the appetite for the right thing. When God is at the center, you are free to actually appreciate life. All the things that won't deliver on their own, when he is at the center, you can actually appreciate and experience the fullness of them. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. When your if only becomes, if I only had more of God, I would be satisfied. That's the only way to reverse the eternal tolerance effect that is wreaking havoc with your soul. And this, I believe, is the first taste. Though the goodness of God reaches far and wide and we can perceive its beauty in many ways, there is one image that cuts to the center of our souls. It is the cross. We need a better Moses, right? Moses is the spiritual leader. He's the guy in charge. And he's, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you would put the burden of all these people on me? Does that sound vaguely familiar? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms? I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And it was true, it was too heavy for him. He even says he'd die so he wouldn't have to carry the burden. But we need a better Moses. Moses said, I'd rather die than carry their burdens. 
Jesus died in order to carry the burdens of us to the cross. Moses cried out, what have I done to displease you that you would um, burden me with all these people? Jesus cried out on the cross, why have you forsaken me and experienced the torment of being separated from his heavenly father? Moses said he couldn't carry the burden. Jesus carried the cross to Calvary. Jesus lost his freedom so we could find our freedom. He's the only master who doesn't enslave. In Romans, Paul's thoughts about what he feels powerless to do. In verse 25, Romans 7, verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, I'll invite the worship team to come back. We're gonna sing one more song as we um, uh, move on here this morning. Now there's more to come in the next few weeks about freedom, this freedom we can have. Um, But perhaps... uh, Maybe you're having a moment. As I've been speaking, the Spirit of God has been highlighting something, urging you to respond in some way. Perhaps you know the areas in your life that are out of control, and perhaps you don't, and perhaps that's even worse. A great place to start would be praying with somebody today. After the worship team sings this next song, we'll give an opportunity for you to come and respond and to pray. But again, perhaps a great next step for you would be uh, set for your retreat. Um, if you are sitting there going, I'm stuck and I need something, I need help, I need, if somebody would just give me something, you know, um, you have an opportunity. And so I would challenge you to be um, obedient and faithful to that. Um, we're gonna move on, but again, um, if you need to stay for a moment and pray, um, please do that. So let me, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, this um, part of the Bible is uh, heavy. It seems like you respond so harshly to something simple like our appetite for food. But God, it is so serious when we crave other things more than we crave you and it wreaks havoc in our world, and we can all see that. Jesus, I pray that you would illuminate in our hearts the things, the agents that we have that we turn to instead of you so that we could um, be aware of them and help us also to turn our hearts more and more to you and to the love that you have shown us. Help us all to taste and see that you are good and that our craving for you will always satisfy more and more. God, I thank you for the cross and what it accomplishes and that we have a better Moses, that we have someone who stood in our place to make a difference, that we weren't left eternally stuck in this spot. Uh, I pray for everybody here uh, over this next week that as they uh, go to various places, that again, you would continue to speak to them and to move on their hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Worship team is gonna sing another song and we'd love you to join with that and then uh, there'll be a few closing remarks uh, just about what's coming next.